I always say when I talk, you know, I, I'm a prostitute. Prostitutes don't get sober on Saturday. You just got paid. I'm coming for your money. And this was a Saturday. So I know that it was a God-given day. I didn't pick my sobriety day. I told you, John, I'm an idiot. I didn't wake up and think, well, this is bad. I should get help. You know, I'm living in insanity just willingly. So I know that my sobriety date was a gift. I would have picked a Monday. I was always going to get sober come Monday. I'm always going to do it later. I would have never picked to Saturday. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride, take what you want, and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hello, my little chickadees. That was the voice of Amy D. that you heard at the beginning of this here episode number 177. And you will be hearing so much more from her in just a moment. You are in for a treat. But first things first, this episode is brought to you by Lee and Terry and Todd and Kurt and Joshua. Do you know what Lee and Terry and Todd and Kurt and Joshua did? Well, let me tell you. They went to our website, www.soberspeak.com. They clicked on the PayPal tab at the top of the screen and they made a contribution. Thank you so much, Lee and Terry and Todd and Kurt and Joshua. This episode is coming right out to you. I John am just another bozo on the bus will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I'm truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, and let's get started. And remember, no matter who you are or what your past looks like, you are welcome here. It is an open table, and we are glad You are here. In fact, we will give you a seat at the head of the table. Thank you so much for joining us. Just as a reminder, you can find us on any of your favorite podcast players out there, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. But if you can't remember all that, just go to our website, www.soberspeak.com, and all 
of the aforementioned are on the website with links to the podcast. And I know that many of you have been asking, in fact, I want to read this piece of uh, feedback that we got this week because it kind of it dovetails into uh, what I want to say next. And this is from Lee. She wrote in and she says, John, there are no words to let you know what sober speak has meant to me. I talk about all of the episodes to my friends in recovery and anyone else that wants to hear about them. I feel at times I may be talking about sober speak too much, but if people are bothered about it, then maybe they should just listen more, laugh out loud. My brother, who wants to start listening to the podcast, asked me the other day which episode he should start with first. And I still haven't answered him because I just can't pick one or two or 10 of them. They are all so good. I really connect with all the speakers, whether they are telling their story or teaching us about the 12 steps. I would love to see see you bring Brenda back if that is an option. Her episodes are the ones that I will truly never forget. John, thank you for your vulnerability, your time, your humor, and your knowledge. Thank you for helping us to, helping us stay together through our struggles, Lee V. Well, thank you so, so much. I really do appreciate it. That was such a nice note. And uh, I wanted to read that. But another reason I wanted to read that on the front end, by the way, I do need to reach out to Brenda and see if she will come back on the podcast. I haven't talked to her in a while, but I would love to uh, have her back uh, and have her kind of update the audience, if you will. But nonetheless, part of the reason I wanted to read that was to say this is that her brother is asking about which episode he should listen to first. Well, if you go to our website, you will see there is a tab entitled Top Episodes. Now, this is all a matter of um, taste, I guess, like whether one likes chocolate and or vanilla. But we did send out a poll to the to you, the listeners, via email, and we ask you all to vote on which episode was your favorite, and we have the top 20 that are listed on that tab. So go to the website, www.silverspeak.com, and you click on top episodes, and you will find it there. And one other thing that we recently put in, the lovely Mrs. M., has been doing this, and I really appreciate her efforts in this uh, on this. But she also uh, put out there a sober speak, uh, or excuse me, sober resources tab, and we also have the recovery yoga that I've been talking about the past few months that is listed on that Sober Resources tab on our website. If y'all want to go out there and look at that, you're more then welcome to do that. One more thing, uh, just to say, if you are not in this, actually two more things, I guess, if you're not in the super secret Facebook group and you would like to be, send me your email to John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com. We will get you in that group. And if you are not following us on Instagram, you have got to see all of Cassandra's great posts. Um, and uh, go out there and you can follow us. At, it's at at Sober Speak, all one 
word. And I would love to have you DM me. I look at all the direct messages myself uh, and uh, respond to most of them. (laughs) Um, But uh, if you want to DM me on Instagram, you're more than welcome to do that. All right. Now on to our episode of the week. We're calling this one from Amy D. And I've been looking so forward to this. It's called Prostitutes Don't Get Sober on Saturday. (laughs) So anyway, we'll talk about uh, Amy's uh, white light experience. We talk about the bedevilments. Uh, Amy also explains what she means by the 5% in Alcoholics Anonymous. So you'll have to listen on in to see what that means. She talks about parochial schools, homelessness, and obviously prostitution, and much, much more. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Ms. Amy D, and we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. Enjoy. Okay, everybody. So today, this very day right here, we are sitting with Ms. Amy D from Louisville, Kentucky. So Amy D, yeah, she's clapping with her hands. So Amy D, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, please, and give your sobriety date, if you will. I sure will. I'm so glad to be here, John. I'm a little nervous. I've never done this. This is exciting for me. My kids were excited. They were like, oh, mom, podcast. I guess that makes me cool. <laughs> so I am. Um, thank you for inviting me. Gave me credit with my kids. Uh, my name is Amy Skin. I am an alcoholic. My sobriety date is March the uh, 6th of 2010. Uh, and I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, which has great AA and I have a great home group that raised me to be a good member of our wonderful program. So I'm excited to be invited and, and get to spend some time with you. Super. So you just passed uh, double digits. Looks like you're coming up yeah. on 11 years here. Yeah. Uh, really yeah. Soon, right. Yeah, I absolutely am. I kind of hit during COVID. I, you know, the ego's still intact. So I wanted a little pomp and circumstance <laughs> at the, you know, at the 10 year mark. And uh, my sponsor just gave me my uh, medallion in my driveway. And she said it was good for me. Good. <laughs> <laughs> That's how that went. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Hey, by the way, I must remark that your hair looks wonderful. I believe you, you were at the, you. Uh, the beauty salon or something this yeah. morning. Is that right? Yeah, that you know, sobriety brings a lot of things, including haircuts. So I was just glad to be in a chair and have an appointment and ability to get there and the sense to make an appointment. So many things are different uh, in sobriety than than when I was drinking. I remember I got sober in a homeless shelter. I'm a real low bottom drunk, and I remember that shelter actually had some women from the local beauty college come and like give us free haircuts, and it. I cried that day. I hadn't had a haircut in years and it just does something to you, you know, to kind of be sober and get your haircut. And, and, uh, that little act of charity that that beauty college was willing to do just made me feel human. again. I it. So yeah, that's one of the things I do in sobriety. I, I get my haircut. <laughs> that is great. You know, and that yeah. reminds me of the story. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard about it before. I believe this is from world war two and, uh, they were going in and they were rescuing the women that were had been uh, just in horrible places. And one of the first things that those women wanted to do was put on some red lipstick. It just made yeah. them feel whole again. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but anyway, well, whoever did your hair, give them my compliments. <laughs> they did a fantastic job. 
Hey, thank you. You're welcome. All right, so let me go ahead and tell you, uh, uh, tell the audience actually how we met. Uh, I have, uh, in fact, there's somebody who's been on the podcast before. Her name is Maria R. I just absolutely love Maria. She was on recently an international women's conference of some sort on zoom she heard you tell your story and she immediately reached out to me and said you have got to have amy on (laughs) the podcast so i'm not sure exactly i wasn't on it because i wasn't invited well you know i guess i probably could have come on and told people i was jane or something like that they wouldn't (laughs) they wouldn't have known either way but nonetheless so i'm glad to have you here today all right so you're in louisville kentucky Mm-hmm. Did you grow up in Louisville? I was born in Louisville and then moved to uh, the country. So I, I, I lived in like a, a cul-de-sac until I was seven or eight with neighbors and uh, best friend lived two doors down and all that kind of went to a neighborhood school that I could have walked to. It was amazing. And then um, my father also suffers, uh, suffered from alcoholism. And so my parents divorced. And this was huge in my life. I moved from the cul-de-sac my mom remarried and we moved to a a little town in indiana and literally there is a sign there that says population 85 so i went from cul-de-sac city kind of suburban life to this rural country life at about age eight um and uh, but i still had family in in louisville so i kind of had both upbringings i had this country life and the, the, you know, where there were no sidewalks, you had to get a ride to the neighbors. They were spread out. Um, and also would come down to Louisville though, because my family still lived here. And I, then I would have that grandma's experience on Sunday with a house full of cousins and, and fun and things like that. So I really got, um, both things growing up. Uh, I was real resentful about that move to the country. I am a city girl. So uh, I did return to Louisville uh, as an adult and and, uh, in my sobriety, I I choose to stay here. My mom and uh, one of my kids is still up in the country and and it makes for a nice weekend visit and drive up and see them and stuff. But yeah, I got the both worlds really played well into the double life the alcoholic lives. See, by living there and also I, I came to private school and high school so I was going to school in Louisville uh, but lived in the country so I had it just was a beautiful uh, uh, a setting for me to live the two lives that I wanted to live <laughs> and lie to everyone you know so up in the country I drank and smoked cigarettes and kissed boys but at the all-girl parochial school in Louisville I didn't do any of those things you know I swore I didn't uh, you know so I I started that chameleon and that line for acceptance and wanting you to like me so bad early early in life you know but that that kind of helped <laughs> my mom the, the separate locations uh, played well into that so when did you discover drugs and or alcohol uh, what was it early i mean were you a late teen were you in your 20s oh, i i um i started drinking probably uh, freshman high school eighth grade high school uh right right before uh, one of the reasons my mom shipped me down to Louisville to that all-girl parochial school because I was starting to kind of venture out and get a little wilder and you know breaking rules and you could just see that early defiance in me um you know by the end of my eighth grade year uh and it was coming on and probably by sixth grade you noticed that by by eighth grade my mom was like okay let's get her 
you know, I like boys. I'm a, I'm a fast girl. So it's like, she thought sending me to an all girl parochial school would slow that, <laughs> that down. It did not. Uh, but, but yeah, so I was drinking, uh, by, you know, by freshman year, it was a weekend occurrence. So, you know, I look at my grandkids now and I think, holy crap, you know, but, uh, I was doing it. I was drinking, uh, you know, on weekends by the, my freshman year in high school. And that just progressed, uh, you know, throughout that. And I tell you, the mental obsession started for me early on because I was, I, I ran track, I played basketball, I was in advanced classes, you know, like any kid, I had hobbies, I had interests. Once booze got introduced, that was my interest. And, um, and on Mondays, you know, kids were talking about softball practice or band practice, whatever's coming up. And on Mondays, I was talking about where are we going to get booze for this weekend? Right. Who's, whose brother's going to buy it? Where are we going to drink it? Is there going to be enough? So, uh, you know, I, I didn't know it when it was happening, but alcohol from first introduction began to take a prominent place in, in my life. Uh, and that was just going to, you know, grow and continue. There was no getting off that train. So at some point, I'm assuming things started to go off track a little. Uh, you know, as you know, they always describe it as fun in the beginning, yeah. and then fun plus problems, and then and and then just problems. So yeah. when did it kind of start to take that that turn where it, it started working against you, if you will? Oh, <laughs> did I not mention I'm also an idiot? That happened in the beginning, like from the beginning. There was this. I, there was never like a time when alcohol didn't cause me consequences. I was just always willing to pay the price for the drink. So uh, there was no honeymoon period. I mean, immediately, uh, my drinking. I lost friends. I uh, lost relationships. I was in trouble at home. I, I, you know, wouldn't come in when it was time to come in. I would lie to my parents. I, you know, all those. Uh, the lying, the manipulation, the expecting, the deserving, the demanding of others to satisfy my needs. Man, I was just riddled with that. So I never like had a period that alcohol didn't have a consequence. I, I think the first consequence, you know, of course you get grounded at home or whatever, but the first major was by my sophomore year uh, at that school, that parochial school where I had like my girlfriends and I was in honors classes. Uh, so within a year and a half, so I started drinking pretty regular by freshman year, by middle of sophomore year, uh, my behaviors when I drank, uh, that double life I talked about, the, the gig was up, you know, people were figuring out and, and things were happening. And I ended up changing high schools. I had to leave all my friends. I had to change high schools. I ended up going to four different high schools before I graduated. We never moved. I did. My dad went in the military. Like, I'm <laughs> high schools, right? This is just because I can't get along with you, and I I won't give up drinking for a friend, for a boyfriend, for a, in anything. It is, you know, it is dominant in my life, and the, so there wasn't like, oh, I didn't have trouble till later. No, I had trouble from jump. I'm just I I never could connect the dots that alcohol was the problem in my mind in my adolescent mind the problem was those girls that school the coach the boyfriend my mom like it was there was no alcohol's cunning you know it's baffling and i love it so of course i'm not going to blame it that's that's the thing i love carla roll talks about alcohol being the longest relationship she ever had and i think that is it was 
the longest relationship I ever had was with the bottle. And uh, I was willing to pay the price of the drink. So yeah, from the beginning, it was, there were consequences. I just was willing to accept them and, and never willing to give up the drink. Would you say, did I not mention I was stupid an as idiot. well? Yeah. An idiot. <laughs> I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. <laughs> no, they say you don't have to go that far down the scale. I let alcohol drag me. Man, I, I work in recovery now, and I work in a pretty high-end uh, recovery center where people still have health insurance and families and jobs. And I always think when they come in that neat that they recognize before they lose everything, you know, you don't have to lose everything. I had to lose everything because I don't know when to let go. I, I had no surrender. I, I'm always curious about people because I, I kind of went through a phase when I first got sober. In other words, I went back to school and I was going to be a counselor yeah. and I was going to do all that stuff. And you see that a lot, right? Which is yeah. great. I mean, the world needs good counselors and uh, yeah. uh, people that really have experience. So yeah. when you made that leap, uh, I, how did you make that leap into the recovery field? Were, were you in that well, before you got there? Yeah, no, I no, I'm a nurse. I have been a nurse since I was 24 years old, and uh, but I was an LPN, a licensed practical nurse, and I'd done that, and I was always going to go back to school. Again, one of those things that alcohol took from me, my ambitions, you know, my goals. Um, I was always going to go back to school. I never went back to school. Um, and then when I got sober this time, I thought, you know what? I'm going to finish that degree. So I, I went and got an associate's degree and then, you know, you're in school. So you go ahead and you get the bachelor's degree, but I'm a hospital nurse. So I worked in hospitals when I got sober as an RN. Um, and it's a crazy story just doing what we do. Right. So I worked a step down unit telemetry and because of the, uh, the nature of detox, we would get a lot of folks that were detoxing on our unit because they need a heart monitor. Uh, alcohol and benzos are the only detoxes that can actually kill you. You will, Those are dangerous detoxes. They require, you know, medical observation. And so we, I would get these guys and um, I was a charge nurse and uh, my nurses would just say, Amy, I can't deal with them. Go talk to them. They're crazy, you know, whatever. And we have a way we can reach people when nobody else can. And uh, so I started being the nurse you called when you had um, that addict or that alcoholic that was, uh, unmanageable or, or, uh, you know, they, they were having trouble with. And, uh, a couple doctors took note. I implemented a, an opiate withdrawal protocol within the hospital. They didn't have that. Uh, it was very surprising to me. Uh, so I started doing education with physicians and nurses within the hospital on what withdrawal looks like and, and trying to reduce some of the stigma that comes when we are hospitalized, uh, education and training. And, just doing what we do, just trying to take care of another suffering uh, human being. People took notice and a doctor came to me and said, hey, would you be willing to consult? I want to work in this field. I want to do this. I want to open a place. And I said, well, I can, I, I swore I'd never work in the field. I never <laughs> worked in the field, right? right. I, I ended up consulting for this guy. And, and then a friend of mine was opening a center and he said, uh, and, and it was just an idea. This is one of the things, the magic of intention and, and sobriety and being plugged in on that spiritual level. It was an idea he had. And he came to me when it was an idea. And he said, I have this idea. And when this manifests, when this happens, 
I want you to come and be the director of nursing at our facility. And I said, okay, that sounds great. Let me know. And last August, he uh, called me up and he said, it's time, let's go. And I resigned where I was. And now I am the director of nursing at a, a treatment center here in Kentucky out of Mount Washington. And I'm in the field, you know, so yeah, I, just kinda, I don't know. Bizarre things happen when you surrender your life to God. That's right. When you when you honestly just let go and fly and uh, and put your life in God's hands, all sorts. I love this. My favorite promise in the big book is page 100. Remarkable things will happen. And if there's anything that describes my life from the homeless shelter to the life I live today, it's it's just that remarkable things have happened. Okay, I'm going to do a little break here, then we're going to get back into your story. I want to get back into like uh, the, your uh, early 20s there and uh, talking about that. <laughs> a wild year. Yeah. <laughs> we will be continuing our conversation with Amy D in just a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the web at www.soberspeak.com. You can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Ms. Amy D. All right, so let's go back to the early 20s there, the wild years. Can you sum those up in a few minutes? I can tell you that I, I bedevilment that that if you go to page 52 and read about the bedevilments, that sums up my early 20s. Uh, I had children. I'm a full blown alcoholic. I'm drinking every day. I'm dragging children through this. I am in all sorts of sordid relationships. I have a baby by one man, my second child. I'm a single mom of two kids. Uh, and I end up marrying that guy's younger brother, whoa, right? Whoa, whoa. Hold on a second. Yeah, <laughs> let me slide right past that. Uh, <laughs> Wait a second. Okay, so you got married, and then you had a baby with the- No, well, the, I dated a bouncer, because I like to fight. I, I am that girl. I, I I drink, I fight, I bust out windows, <laughs> I start fires. I'm insane. Uh, and I dated the bouncer at the bar I worked at and he and I got pregnant and he took off, right? He, first of all, I'm crazy. He didn't want anything to do with me and he didn't want a baby and he took off. And, uh, and so I turned around and started dating his kid brother and I, you know, I convinced his kid brother, this poor kid, uh, he was a little bit younger than me and you know, alcohol, we're persuasive. And I t sold him a sack of lies and he bit like a big mouth bass. And I had one hooked. I had one on the line and I married him and me and this guy were married for 10 years. He's an amazing guy. I, I didn't, you know, that was, that was God, not me, but, uh, well, well, and just a real quick question. So was the first guy at the wedding by any chance? No. Okay. He uh, wanted to kill us, and, but uh, he never showed up. He drank a lot. People, drunks get angry, but they never are, you know, they start drinking and they don't get up. So I, uh, you know, you don't have to really listen to the threats of a drunk because I used to do that. I'm going to kill you, you know, and then I have a couple drinks. I'm like, I'll kill you later. 
I'm just gonna stay here. Uh, you know, where you got this rage and all these, and you know, the wrath that we're gonna bestow on people, but we, we're just gonna sit and drink and stuff. So. Uh, yeah, but he was not. But I tell you a funny thing, I didn't think anything was weird about that. Mm-hmm. Like the alcoholic life had become so normal for me that there was, you know, I, I was doing a fifth step in 2010. And my mother-in-law, God bless my mother-in-law, right? She's on my resentment list. I mean, obviously, she ruined my marriage. That's what mother-in-laws do. She never treated me well, you know. And uh, my sponsor said, you don't see where you set the ball in motion. And I mean, I'm so delusional. I said, I gave her beautiful children by all her sons. Mm, sons. (laughs) my sponsor said my god amy uh and it was in that like when she pushed that paper back over to me and said think about that what you did to that woman and her family think about that and i sat there in that thought for a minute and like a light bulb went off and i just thought oh my gosh i had been mad at this woman forever this was in 2010. He and I got married in 1994. I carried this resentment towards her, total blame towards her. You know, we see where they are wrong, but we don't see our part. Man, I was so blinded. And uh, finally, it was just, you know, they say that your head, there's a sound when your head pops out of your bottom. Right. <laughs> and in that fist step with that sponsor, doing, you know, having put that on paper, and sitting down with a woman properly armed with facts about herself and this disease and the magic of those steps, she sat there and just stared at me with that paper pushed back across the table at me and said, stop. Like, think about your relationship with that woman and her and her children. And man, there went that pop. And I thought, oh my gosh. I mean, in just that instant and why that had never occurred to me before that, why I hadn't taken any responsibility before that, like the steps were so critical because things you have just accepted as real and, and, and factual and digested and blamed, placed the blame at other people, you know, that four and five is just uh, real critical to kind of, Don Majors always talks about my angle of approach. And I had been approaching the world and its people in a very skewed way. And then all of a sudden through these steps, my angle of approach shifts. And I start seeing things from where you're sitting and the harm I'm causing. And it, it was a huge uh, breakthrough. And unfortunately, by the time I got sober, that woman had died and I could not make a face-to-face amends to her. But I do, uh, I'm, I'm very good to her son, my ex-husband, and I'm very good to her grandchildren who are my children. And I try to uh, be that, you know, be who the daughter-in-law should have been to her that I was never capable of being. Okay, so uh, I want to talk about a couple of things. Number one, where were your mom and dad during this whole thing? And what was their perspective on this? And then I also want to talk about your your children that you just talked yeah. about and what they got drugged through. And, and yeah. why don't you, first of all, go with your mom and dad. I think, uh, well, my dad got sober when I was 18. So my dad's with you guys during this time while I'm in these 20s and making these destructive decisions. Oh, oh man, that must be killing him. It's killing him. It's killing him. He's sharing at meetings about his daughter that's still out there, you know. And he's carrying, he's in new sobriety then, right? So he gets sober when I'm 18. He's two, three, four years sober. So he's still processing the guilt, shame, and remorse of not being the father 
he wanted to be, you know, because when we get sober, that that's the stuff we're thinking about as parents. Like, oh my gosh, what I've done to my kids, that's one of our heaviest burdens. And so my dad is in his early, you know, first five years and I'm out of control and he's, you know, trying to stay sober and work on his steps with his sponsor and, um, and making amends to a daughter who is done, you know, can't even hear him anymore. Right. Cause now I'm all my resentment about him being gone, all that. My dad and I uh, have a very special relationship. I am a daddy's girl, man. And from the time I, before I was born, like even in the belly, you know, my mom tells me how I wouldn't move all day and he would come in the room and say something. And I just flip, like we have a, we had a connection that, uh, it's just, it's just magical, but, um, alcoholism. So well, hold you on a second. Little... You, you just got a little choked yeah. up there. <laughs> I want to, uh, I want to talk about that. So you're, yeah. you're talking about your dad and yeah. that magical connection. Yeah. What were you thinking about during that moment? Well, my dad died, uh, in October, 2019. So I miss him. I just miss my, my dad. We had, uh, uh we just had our lives, uh, you know, through his alcoholism when I was young and then my alcoholism uh, and how we just we longed for each other um, on so many levels. But I do want to, you know, the last 10 years. So I got sober in 2010. And um, and so my dad and I had this amazing 10 years together, both of us sober, you know, both of us sober, man. And what a what a I always say we sure had a good time. Man, that last 10 years with my dad were um, incredible, and I wouldn't change it for anything, but I miss him. Uh, he's my buddy. He's my best friend, and, um, oh, and he, you know, he died 30 years sober, and you can't ask for anything uh, more amazing than that. Uh, his funeral uh, was just, people came from, Mike and Diane came up from Nashville. I'm standing at my dad's casket, and I look around, and there's Mike and Diane, you know. And they drove up from Nashville. Uh, Kenny came in from um, uh, Nebraska to bring my dad uh, Infinity Coin. You know, so the, he brought his Infinity Coin. He drove in from Nebraska to have Dico recordings. You know, he he drove in mm-hmm. from Nebraska and, and stood there and he said, "I brought this for your dad." You know, and my dad's sponsees were uh, Paul Bears for his funeral, and we, me and the, those men. Uh, Gave my dad that infinity coin. You know, slipped it in his pocket before we went out to bury him. And, you know, it was just uh, there was so much love. There was so much love, and there was so much. And then that weekend, I was scheduled to speak in Savannah. You mean when he uh, passed the same weekend? The same weekend, so he passed, and we buried him on a Wednesday. And that Thursday, I'm supposed to be in Savannah at the um, Georgia Free State Conference, right? And, you know, my sponsor and, and different people, they're telling me, Amy, you know, you can cancel, they'll understand. I said, man, if I'm not doing the deal, I'm in a bottle and uh, I, I can't afford that. And I, dad and I traveled, we did, we would do the conferences together. So, you know, we, if it was less than 12 hours, we were driving, it. we were loading up the car with new sponsees they can't get away from you when you do that you put them in the car <laughs> they're, they're trapped you know you get those new the new guy and you put him in the back seat and you drive nine hours you know to a conference and and, and they can't get out and we listen to speaker tapes and we would talk and listen to music man we just have the best aa meetings uh, on the road and 
uh, it got funny at the conferences. They would say, here comes Amy and her posse. You know, I never show up alone to the conference. <laughs> I'm dragging one that's shaking, one that's puking. You know, I'm like, come on, sit up front. You know, you need to be at the conference. Uh, and we love doing that, man. We love doing that. And we had a, a great time. So the, the weekend after dad died, I knew that I needed to get in that car and I needed to go to that conference. And two of the women I sponsor and uh, one of the guys my dad sponsored, uh, we we all drove down there and we went out to Tybee Island and and we did the deal, you know. And uh, Sheldon spoke that weekend from Vegas. We left, you know, always hearing him. And uh, you know, it was just if death could be beautiful, uh, my dad's death it was beautiful, mm. you know, in that sense. And I I know without AA, without God, without that relationship we shared, uh, it I don't know what that would look like. It was absolutely. Uh, amazing i guess i don't know it's weird to talk about death like that but it was it was amazing it was amazing i saw god everywhere i saw god everywhere my dad the hospice nurse told us to leave the room you know he, he thought that was his hospital room can i we talk about that like when you die with 30 years sobriety the nurses don't know what to do with you right they were like who are you we would have 20 people in that hospital room and we would be praying and then laughing and crying and we're having AA meetings and so many uh, magical things. I woke up one morning at the hospital, it was about 2 a.m. and I thought the nurse had come in. I kind of woke up because I stayed with dad, you know, the whole time. And uh, there's, I see a figure sitting beside dad's bed and this is a neat thing. My dad, this was this man who had come in my dad's room at one in the morning was sitting there beside the bed reading uh, Bill's story out loud to my dad in the dark. And I turned on the light, and it was a man named Donald. And Donald, 30 years before that, had been the first man my dad had ever sponsored. <laughs> and Donald, was he's not sober in AA, uh, but he's a wonderful man. He's had a beautiful life, and he heard that my dad was dying. And he got up out of his bed at... 1 a.m. and he went to a token club and happened to find some people standing out front yelled from his car I need a big book and somebody handed him a big book he drove to the hospital came in and just out of love and respect for my father and the way my father affected his life he came to my dad's bedside in the dark and opened up the big book and began to read Bill's story to my father because that's what my dad had done for him 30 years before or 29 years before I mean that you can't make this stuff up. You can't make this stuff up. That it, I could go on and on about that experience, but I, I do miss it. So during my early twenties, that's what we were talking right, about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Dad and mom are sitting on the sidelines with their heads in their hands, sh just shaking their heads. Man, nobody can get between me and the path of destruction I'm on. Man, and it it just was bad. But at 24, me and this Chris had been married a year. And at a, our one-year anniversary, he said, I'm leaving you. Uh, you're drinking. You're crazy. I can't do it anymore. And then, you know, they gave me that frothy emotional appeal. I called my dad. I said, Dad, I'm about to lose everything. And my drinking's out of control. And so dad had been sober like five years then, six years. And he took me to my first AA meeting. I stayed sober three years. I didn't work the steps. I didn't read the book. Back then, uh, and it, it, nobody kept it from me. We read How It Works at every daggone meeting, right? How it works. You know, I just wasn't listening. And uh, people around me weren't pushing steps and programs. They were like, don't drink and go to meetings. So I 
was doing that. I didn't drink and went to meetings. And at 25, I could do that. But I'm telling you what, I ended up leaving AA, uh, got busy, had two kids. You know, like AA gives us this beautiful life. And I am textbook. I am, you know, too busy for AA because of this beautiful life AA gave me. I leave AA. What happens to the real alcoholic happens to me. It takes me 10 years to get back. The problem was for three years, I tried to not drink and go to meetings. And I couldn't figure out why I couldn't get sober. I'm doing the same, you know, 25, I, I didn't drink and I went to meetings. And at 39 or 37, that formula is not working. See, I got a progressive and fatal illness. And I'm now in the grips of alcohol. And I, and I have to drink. And I don't have a choice. And then, you know, they say, hey, don't drink and go to meetings. And I'm like, how do you do that? I, I don't know how to do that. Don't drink between the meetings. That, that's the hard part there. You're, you're getting in. This is where I need help. You know, I ended up, my dad picked me up uh, and took me to the homeless shelter that had a program. And he said, Amy, please go in there and see if those women can help you. And I, I lived in a homeless shelter for one year. From March 6, 2010 to like March 11, 2011, I I could not go two blocks unattended. Were and your got, children with you at the time? No. I My husband and I divorced it when I was 36 due to my drinking and my adultery and my behaviors when I drank. And we ended up divorced. And uh, I ended up, within a year of that divorce, I am, uh, my daughter, I'll tell you this, um, my oldest daughter's 16th birthday. And these are some of the things you find out when you get sober about the pain you caused, you know. So on my oldest daughter's 16th birthday, 16th birthday, I should have been there. There should have been a party. should have, you know, handed her the keys to the car, whatever, you, you know, a good mom would do. Her, um, the news that day ran a story that said a white woman found in alley or in a suitcase in an alley. And um, so my daughter spent her 16th birthday calling morgues and hospitals to find out if that was her mom. Because I had, they hadn't heard from me for months. I would, I would disappear. At this point, I'm living on the streets. I'm in, um, I'm dangerously antisocial, and uh, and I'm missing. I go missing for months at a time. Uh, and so I have a 16 year old, a 14 year old, you know, and I have a, a a little boy that's nine and a little girl that's seven, and I have essentially abandoned the family. My alcoholism has taken me to the to the streets of Louisville, out of the country. I'm back in Louisville. I'm running the streets. I'm in these sordid places in these bad neighborhoods, and I'm a missing person, you know. And so they're hearing from me every few months. You know, I may call or somebody will say they saw me. Uh, and, and if you're like that, if you're a woman or a man, um, I get it. The shame and guilt of the life you're currently living, you know, it's like Bill slapping his hand on the bar. How did I get here? When I look back at my life, the parochial schools, the, the, the um, privilege that I was raised with, the life I had lived, I'd owned two homes, I was married, I was a nurse, I had these beautiful kids, you know, I, everything was set up in my favor. And you turn around and recognize that alcoholism has you homeless. You're unemployable, you're homeless, you're, um, you know, you're 50 pounds underweight, you shake if you don't have a drink in the morning, you know, the weight of that. The book talks about our problems pile up upon us and seem impossible to solve. And that's where you are. And when you're in that, well, for me, when I was that far down, I could not see a path forward. 
I saw no redemption in in this. I thought there's no way you come from here to anywhere, to anywhere. So uh, the homeless shelter, when I got sober at 39, it was just all I wanted at that point was to stop drinking. I did not think I would ever have a relationship with my kids or my family, or maybe I'd never work again. Um, I had the, the, the desperation is only the drowning or the dying can have. That's where I ended up in 2010, that type of desperation. Mm. Uh, okay. So, I, you, you know, you talked about mm, being a dangerously antisocial and I get it. Uh, and I've heard you say, I, I heard you, I heard one of your tapes at one point and it said something to the effect. I remember you, how do I put this? The, there was a, there was a beer that had gone from a dollar to a dollar 10 at the convenience store. Do you know what I'm yeah. talking about? Absolutely. I'll never forget that. I don't think the store clerk will ever forget it either. Uh, that, <laughs> uh, so when you're living on the streets, uh, money, you don't have a job, right? So I panhandled. I uh, did a lot of things that women do uh, and men. I, I don't want to take that away from the men. A lot of us um, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization, you know, to get a dollar, to get five dollars, to get ten dollars or twenty dollars, whatever you need. And when you don't have any money, 10 cents might as well be ten thousand dollars. Like, you know, that, that is, uh, it, 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 10 cents separated me from that drink I needed. And I needed that drink. This isn't, I wish I had a beer or maybe I'll get a beer. This is, it's 9am and I need a beer or I'm getting ready to get real sick. I'm getting ready to start shaking. I'm getting ready to start vomiting. I'm getting ready to start sweating. You know, I'm getting ready to, to experience DT. And uh, there was a local store. So I, I hung out in this neighborhood. You know, when you're homeless, you don't travel often. So I, I kind of <laughs> stayed in this, this small neighborhood. You know, I'm, you're on foot, so you don't go far. <laughs> that was my home. Uh, and I had the little corner store there that they knew me. They knew me as a, you know, homeless woman. And, you know, that that crazy, you know, I don't know if you live in those kind of neighborhoods. There's always that, like, crazy lady. And I was her. And I went into the store and, and uh and I had my dollar. These beers were a dollar. And they had raised the price. It was a dollar ten. And I got to the counter with my beer and I handed them my dollar. And they said, that's a dollar ten. And I said, when, what do you mean it's a dollar ten? I, I was here last night at, you know, 10 o'clock. It was a dollar. Well, the prices went up. I said, that is the same beer. This is in that cooler <laughs> when I went to bed. And that beer is a dollar, <laughs> you know. And they're like, "Hey, lady, you know, it's a dollar ten." I was like, "Why, well, good?" I mean, I threw such a fit. I kicked the chip display over, you know, trying to cause a distraction. I guess grabbed that beer and I ran out like you would have thought I just robbed a bank. How fast I was running <laughs> uh, because I couldn't get caught, and uh, and I don't know they would have chased me over the dime. I think they were glad I walked out of the store, but. <laughs> Man, the desperation, the fear. I'll never forget that feeling that something was going to come between me and that beer. And wow, what a powerful feeling uh, to be controlled, to be uh, under the lash of, of King Alcohol, man, that 10 cents. Uh, and, you know, we laugh. I go to that store today. I, my mother-in-law lives in that neighborhood. I'll stop it. And man, they're so happy about my sobriety. <laughs> 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 but they are. Thrilled. 
they are thrilled. They use me as an example for the other street drugs. They're like, you know, she used to be like this. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, you talk about desperation and fear. Ten cents separated me. And uh, it, you know, when you uh, are so dependent on booze to that extent, uh, man, you can't. You have to have it. It, it. You know, I used to think in my early 20s, I liked to drink. But by the time I was 37, I had to drink. Mm -hmm. It had ceased being a luxury, you know. Um, and it, it long before then, but I recognized it then. You know, like I said, in the beginning, I couldn't put the dots together. By the time I was 37, there was no denying the dots. Like I, every thing I could blame, the husband, the kids, the job, my mom, my dad, uh, you know, everything I could blame was gone. So when you lose it all, when you lose everything and it's just you and the bottle left, then it gets easier to connect the dots because there's only two points, me and the bottle. You know, uh, there's nowhere else to draw a line because it's just you and the bottle. And you finally come to that moment when you realize like, hey, you're my problem. You're the only thing here with me. And I'm still having these problems, you know. Uh, so what was the, it, it, we all get asked this, right? Um, anybody who's come into AA uh, or has been sober for any extended period of time, what was the straw that broke the camel's back? What, what was that? I, you know, I know you've been sober now for 11 years. What was that piece, I guess, where you finally got around to it and said, I'm going to take it serious this time? Um, I wish I could claim credit for that. That would indicate that I had a lick of sense. <laughs> um, but it wasn't. I, I, like I told you in the beginning, I'm an idiot. What happened was my dad picked me up and he said, I had been staying kind of at my dad's and he would let me sleep there if I was sober. Right. Um, so my dad's like 19, 20 years sober by this time. Right. And so he would let me, he knew I was living on the streets. And as long as I was sober, he let me come in his house. Uh, Cause it, you know, this is February, March and it's cold and dad loves me. God, I know it just broke his heart. And I had gone out that weekend, right? I hadn't come home because I knew not to go to my dad's when I was drinking, right? So I had left on Friday. Dad had begged me, Amy, don't go out. Just stay home. Come on, we'll go to a meeting. We'll do something. But man, the obsession, you know, the mental obsession was on me. And I and I had to go get a drink. And uh, the next day I called dad and I was like, you know, hey, will you pick me up? I was literally standing on a street corner, you know, because I had gone out drinking and it was cold. I didn't have a car. I didn't have anywhere to go or anybody that wanted to see me. And my dad pulled up on the street corner and he said, and I said, can we go back to your house? You know, and he said, Amy, I talked to my sponsor and uh, I think that you should go into a detox or a treatment. And I mean, I called him everything but dad. I told him about the hundreds of men he had helped and how he wouldn't help me and what a piece of crap he was. Dad said of that day, he thought my head was going to spin and I was going to shoot green uh, soup out my mouth. You know, it was like I was demonic. I was just screaming and stuff. And so finally being my daddy, he broke down. He said, fine, fine. We'll go back home and we'll try it again. And we rode to his house in silence. We pulled in his driveway and he said, I'm going inside. And I said, okay. And he said, why don't you call your sponsor? Cause I had, you know, I would get a sponsor, but I couldn't stay sober and all that stuff. And when my dad got out of that car and shut the door, uh, I can't even describe it. It was divine intervention. 
a peace settled over me that I hadn't felt in years. It was just this wave of warmth and peace. And the thought came, and it wasn't my own thought. It was a thought from outside of me, and it said, go to detox. And so I walked in the house, and I said, hurry up, Dad, and take me before I change my mind. And my dad jumped up, you know, <laughs> ran to the car, and he drove me to that homeless shelter. And uh, he said, Amy, go in there and see if those women can help you. You're going to die. And I, I went in. I sat at the little intake desk, and it was like a second wave. It was like, have you ever seen the ocean go out, and then it waves up and comes back in? That's what it felt like. It felt like something washed away from me, swelled up, and then washed over me. And the thought then was stay, just stay. So I felt like I had been divinely inspired to go. And then when I got there to stay, um, they put me in a detox bed. I laid down. I felt God around me. I felt a physical embrace. Like I felt I was alone in that bed, but I could feel someone holding me holding me and I got up and I wrote down on a piece of paper um, don't forget this is a good idea right because the body heals and the liar returns mm -hmm. and I carried that note in my pocket for about eight months um, that was the beginning of a very spiritual thing that happened to me so I ended up those were the first things. Those like the going. I always say when I talk, you know, I, I'm a prostitute. Prostitutes don't get sober on Saturdays, right? You just got paid. I'm coming for your money. Uh, and this was a Saturday, so I know that it was a God-given date. <laughs> you know, I didn't pick my sobriety date. I told you, John, I'm an idiot. I didn't wake up and think, well, this is bad. I should get help. You know, I'm living in insanity, on, you know, just willingly. But so I know that my sobriety date was a gift. I would have picked a Monday. I was always going to get sober come Monday. I'm always going to do it later. Never. I would have never picked a Saturday. And March 6, 2010 was on a Saturday. And that is even more uh, confirmation for me that my sobriety date was a gift. And it was divine intervention that cleared my insane mind long enough to have one sane thought and then to follow that thought through. And God was with me the whole time. I had a a white light experience on six and seven. I had a spiritual experience on six and seven that completely changed me as a person and my life moving forward. And the the effects of that, the results of that, because when it happens, you're just real confused. Let me tell you that. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. But when Bill says he called the doctor in to say, am I crazy? You will call someone and say, I must be crazy. It was that kind of white light experience. And it completely changed my life uh, and continues to change and influence my life uh, since then. But I know that that happened on March 6th, and then this, God was just, it was divine intervention. It wasn't losing the kids. It wasn't missing graduations and birthdays and Christmases. I wish it had been. I wish, I wish hurting my kids had been enough to get me sober. It wasn't the prostitution. I, I wish the self-loathing was enough to get me sober. It wasn't the divorce or the loss of marriage or the loss of jobs or the loss of cars. I wish 
any of that had been the reason I got sober, but honestly, divine intervention. Um, and it, and I know that that came from the prayers. It came from the moment of silence for the still suffering that we do at the end of each meeting or at the beginning of the meeting. It came from strangers would approach me and pray for me on the streets. And I always thought that was a little bit weird, but people would walk up to me. I had a woman stop her car and get out and come to me and say, I've been convicted to pray for you. Can I pray for you? Like just bizarre things like that, that God was constantly trying to pull me back into him and protect me and uh, keep me safe for his purpose. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's what it was. I, I, I wasn't like woke up one day like this is stupid. I should get sober. And I'm sometimes I'm not that smart. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this has been great. Um, oh, thank you. You are your voice is being heard in all four corners of the world, or going to be heard. Not right now, but uh, any. Is there anything that you haven't said up to this point that you want to make sure that you impart to the listeners before we wrap it up? I guess, you know, when I first got, I wasn't this spiritual March 6, 2010, right? So I would read, though, I would read page 100 uh, and working with others. And so I advise, you know, please complete the steps. Please get a sponsor. Please utilize that sponsor. Become a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. But page 100 says, you and the new man must walk day by day on the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. And I, um, when they're happening, you may not even see them. You may not even know them, especially in the beginning. Um, I love my home group. Tim Highland's in my home group. And that old man used to tell me, Trust God, clean house, and help somebody else. And I have found that those words, that that simple, keep it simple. And if I can just trust my higher power that's brought me this far and will continue to guide me, I can do the inventory, take a look at myself, and I can get busy helping somebody else. And I guess for the new man, one of the most critical information pieces of information for me was there are no big deals. Everything was a big deal when I got sober, man. And they would tell me, Amy, there's no big deals. And when I finally figured out there's really no big deals, my life got a lot simpler and a lot easier. And I tell you what, um, Don Major's sponsor talks about there's 95% of people in AA that do the work and they do the steps and they do the stuff and they, they get to be sober. And he said, and there's this 5% that want it all. The 5% that want to live in the fourth dimension. You know, and as soon as I heard that, I always wanted to be part of the 5%. And I, I am part, probably more likely I'm part of the 95% that stay sober by following a program of action. But if you want to be the 5%, you know, continue to grow on your spiritual journey. Um, see the magic. It, it is, um, it's like, it's, it's, it's the greatest show on earth. <laughs> it is the greatest show on earth. Yeah. Uh, well, Amy, how was your first podcast? Ah, uh, well, I you tell me. I I hope it was okay. It was great, I, that was great. I'm I, wondering how you feel. You doing all right? I feel, I feel okay. I I listen. You tell me to go back and listen. So you have had Gary Kincaid on here. Correct. He is one of my favorite speakers. He and I got to speak together in Arkansas. He met my dad, and that's that five percent. Gary Kincaid. He's one of the five percent. 
He's got that spiritual. He sees things in a magical way. Like I just, I, uh, I guess I, I feel so fortunate to know men and women like you, like Gary, like Tim Highland, like Don Major, like these men and women in Alcoholics Anonymous that live in that 5% because it's where I want to be. It's where I want to be. It's where the magic happens. It's where the laughter is. It's where the fun is, you know. So I, I just thank you so much for including me, thinking of an old wretch like me from Louisville. An old wretch like me. <laughs> <laughs> You know, people, you're a very lovely woman. People are going to, by how you describe yourself, it is not uh, like that at all. Uh, And and you have beautiful hair. We've already talked about that. Yeah. The lovely locks. Yeah. I turned 50 this uh, year. So I was like, I'm going to, you know, try to be, uh, I I didn't know I was going to live this long. So I got teeth. I got some teeth. (laughs) And I I got some hair. I was like, well, we're going to. If I'm going to be here, I might pretty it up a little bit. Buy some new lipstick. Might as well have teeth and hair. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm going to read from page 164 of the big book to wrap this up. Yeah, uh, on 164, it says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Get freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us, like me and Ms. Amy, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Amy, thank you so much. God bless you. Uh, Really appreciate you, Sharon. Uh, You have a wonderful rest of your day, and hopefully our paths will cross soon, okay? Yes, hopefully so soon. I'm so ready to be with you all again and and, in hugs and in the conferences and in the beautiful noise of Alcoholics Anonymous. I can't wait. I get it. I completely get it. All right. God bless. Thanks again for coming on. All right. Thank you, dear. Amy. D, once again, thank you so much for your time and your effort and sharing your story with the Sober Speak audience. You took us for a ride, and uh, I, I, I just thank the world of you. God bless you, your family, uh, your journey, and uh, continue to go out there and to help other people. I know you are, and I, I hope our paths cross again very soon. Now, remember, folks, we don't want you sharing your uh, gossip, but if this episode touched you, please share it with a friend or a family member. It may be just what they need today. Just pause your device, click on that little share button, and get it on over to a friend or family member. Now, everybody, on to a little bit of listener feedback. Katie Post in the Super Secret Facebook group, and she posts this and it says, John, the Sober Speak podcast saved my life and opened my mind to the process of Alcoholics Anonymous, Katie G. And she got several responses from that. And you know, Katie, I I just, um, I'm grateful that 
This podcast can sometimes be used as a small piece of someone's journey, and I'm glad that it opened your mind to the process of Alcoholics Anonymous, and thank you for posting that in there. God bless you, and uh, you keep coming back. Anna Lee writes in. Anna Lee says, John, you are so awesome, (laughs) triple exclamation point. You're really coming into your own over the course I have heard your podcast. And I think she's saying over the course of the year, ever since she's been listening to it. And well, thank you, Annalie. I appreciate it. She said, I am so proud to be part of the community that is my meeting between meetings. You are a light in this world and in the world of recovery, you are in the right place at the right time. Your vulnerability speaks leaps and bounds to your character and your program. Experience, strength, and hope is what many are receiving from your thoughtfulness and your artistic podcasts. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. God is everything or he is nothing, and God is everything to me. God bless Anna Lee. Anna Lee, that's just so sweet. You know... By the way, what she's referencing there in the God is everything or God is nothing um, is a piece to the big book. It's in We Agnostics. And I believe also that God is everything in Ali. And I love your kind words. Um, you know, it's interesting that you say at the right place and the right time. I, um, I really believe that. Let me put it this way. If I disappeared off the face of the earth tomorrow, life would go on just as it is. Uh, Hopefully there'd be a couple people that'd be sad without me, but life would go on, right? And that vacuum would be filled. And I'm just glad that God has given me this podcast at this time. Um, and has enabled me to to bring all these various guests to you guys. And I'm so thankful for all the people that come on here and they share the stories. I'm thankful for people like the lovely Mrs. M, who continues to help me on this website. I'm thankful for Cassandra, who does all the Instagram posts. I'm thank you for Bridget, who does all of the... Um, uh, summaries that you see in the show notes. Uh, and I'm thank you for, so, oh gosh, if I start mentioning some people that I know through the podcast, I know I'm going to forget others, so I'm not going to start down that road. But I'm thank you for, for so, so many people I've met over the years. And, and this is a we program, Annalie, as you know. And uh, I, I'm just so thankful for folks like you. And this is the reason that I, I continue to do this. And so anyway, God bless you, Annalie. And thank you for writing in. Audie writes in, O-T-T-I-E, I I love that name. Hello, Audie is my first name and I've been on the straight and narrows three years this August. I attend meetings here in Lafayette, Colorado. Found your podcast last year when I broke my ankle and I was unable to attend meetings. As of this week's program, I'm caught up and now waiting till next week's program. I'm 67 years young, married to my high school sweetheart since 1973, so 48 years this August. That's great, Mr. Audie, that is fantastic. Your high school sweetheart, you're 67 years young. I love it. Anyway, thank you for writing in, my friend. I appreciate it. Molly 
writes in, good golly, Miss Molly. She says, hello, hi, John. Or she actually says, hey, John, exclamation point. I've been listening to your podcast on Spotify, Spotify for over two months now. I'm not really sure how it slipped past me for so long, but I love it. <laughs> well, who? how did it get past you for so long, <laughs> Miss Molly? But uh, I'm glad you uh, love it. Is there anything else on Spotify except for Sober Speak? I guess there is. Anyway, she says, I've been listening backwards from the most recent stories down and everyone that is included in the podcast, especially you, has gotten me through some hard times recently. That's so good to hear. Um, and if, Actually, you know, when I first read that, I was just reading that, and and she says, I've been listening backwards. I thought she was saying to begin with, it's like, you know how like they used to say if you listen to a Led Zeppelin album backwards on vinyl, you, you can like hear like a devil talk or something like that, <laughs> all that crap. So anyway, I thought she was saying that she was like listening to the episodes backwards, but that's not what she was saying at all. Anyway, I digress. That was just, that really wasn't the point of that whole <laughs> paragraph that she wrote. She says, I know with COVID and all that meetings and conferences are probably at a standstill, but I'd love to be part of your Sober Speak Facebook group. Oh yeah, we got that invite out to you, Molly. So that in case anything becomes open in the next few months or years, I can try my best to attend to show my gratitude. Oh, so you know what? I think I'm going to have another live event pretty soon, but it's going to be for right now, at least it's going to be a virtual uh, event, but we'll, we'll post it in there. But anyway, this is Molly from Sarasota, Florida, Sobriety date of June 22nd, 2019, Molly. Well, Molly and Sarasota, thank you for writing in. I appreciate it. And I'm glad you could get in the super secret Facebook group. Jessica writes in. She says, hi, John. I just adore Bill C. Don't we all, Jessica? He speaks of solid recovery and there's a lightness and humor in him that makes me look forward to this seemingly sometimes downright rough journey. I found Sober Speak on iTunes as one of the recommended podcasts. I'm glad they recommended me. She says I might like and it has quickly ascended to my favorite one. Well, thank you, Jessica. She says, about my recovery, I'm approaching my first sobriety birthday this month on March 22nd. I'm amazed that I've made it this far only by the grace of God. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, the close proximity to trails for running, my fellowship, home group, and doing the 12 steps have all kept me sober thus far. The journey of self-discovery and living in gratitude gives me a sense of peace that I've never had. I'm not telling you you I'm not telling you anything you haven't experienced yourself. Keep up the good work, a kale loving sober Californian Jessica. Well, Jessica, you kale loving sober Californian. I'm I, I'm so glad you wrote in and I'm thinking about you and eating kale right now. And uh, I, I understand there's plenty of kale out there. And I eat kale sometimes myself. It's just not, I don't, I wouldn't say I love it though. 
But anyway, thanks for writing in, Jessica. I appreciate it. Lori writes in. Lori says, hey, John, I celebrated three years of sobriety on January 1st of 2021. I am located in Georgia. I have a sponsor who has a sponsor and I am a sponsor. I discovered your podcast recently and have only listened to about five episodes, but each of them are amazing. I really enjoy Gary K and Bill C and need to go listen to number 75 about the mom. Oh, I know what that one is. That's a... That's Maria on episode 75, and oh, it's it's entitled, uh, I Thought Alcohol Made Me a Better Mom, something like that. Anyway, she says, that's me, a professional woman turned mom turned drunk. Nothing ever made me happy, and I, and I never belonged. Just like almost every one of our fellowship, I absolutely love, in big capital letters, AA, and do as much service as I can. I recently told my story and it hit me, quote, God got me sober. He's got me in all this other stuff I'm struggling to control. Then she says, every day, every meeting, every podcast, I learn more. I don't ever plan on graduating from AA, and neither do I, Ms. Lori. Thanks for all you do, John. Take what you like above and leave the rest at the curb <laughs> with the garbage. Ha <laughs> ha. She's uh, uh, mocking my uh, intro. <laughs> Anyway, she, she says, ha ha, Lori S. Thanks, Lori S. God bless you and your Georgia friends. I appreciate it. Dustin, Mr. Dustin writes, he says, hi, John. I heard about Sober Speak from another friend in the program. Sounds like a very smart friend you have there, Mr. Dustin. He says, I just started listening to the podcast this week. Well, you have a lot of catching up to do, my friend. I have really enjoyed Gary K. and David G. You know, this seems to be a recurring theme that I hear on a consistent basis. He says, I am just shy of four months sober. My sobriety date is November 9th, 2020. I started attending meetings on January. January 4th, 2021. My first attempt at sobriety was 16 years ago. After many failed attempts, hitting lower bottoms, and my disease progressively getting worse, I realized my way was not working. I have a sponsor and I'm currently on step three. I am so grateful and thankful for the program. I am already getting the benefits. Sometimes we call those promises too. And then he says, thank you for giving me an other option to aid in my sobriety. I can't do this without the help of others. Dustin P. Well, Dustin P., welcome to the club as I cannot do this without the help of others either. And I would imagine 99% of the folks who are, are listening would agree with that statement. Thanks for writing in, Dustin. Last but not least, Kathy writes in. And Kathy says, hi, John, I was just listening to the episode where you share. Oh, okay. So some of you may not have heard this. This is like three episodes ago, and I've not read every single comment that I have gotten, but I just, every once in a while, I want to go ahead and read one on the air, and, and I appreciate it. The, the subject line for this particular email was condolences. 
Kathy says, John, I was just listening to the episode where you share about the young woman who was murdered. I am so sorry for your loss. Thank you for your willingness to share this story. Too many people find themselves in unsafe situations. Your sharing may help someone recognize the danger and get help. So often, these stories aren't shared and people aren't aware of the devastation that can occur. I love listening to your podcast. Thank you for keeping it going. Kathy, a grateful Al-Anon member. Well, Kathy, you grateful Al-Anon member, or excuse me, grateful Al-Anon listener, she said. Um, as you know, in Al-Anon, those types of stories of people trying to save people who perhaps are not savable or they're enabling them and just all kinds of unhealthy behavior are more commonplace than not, unfortunately. And um, it really is sad. Uh, and and sometimes I think with my extended family member, if maybe she had made it to an Al-Anon room and got to, you know, listen to a lot of healthy advice about healthy boundaries. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to pretend to be an Al-Anon expert here because I'm not, uh, but I do hear from a lot of you guys and uh, I am really uh, forever grateful and appreciative of the program of Al-Anon. I think it's absolutely fantastic. But nonetheless, uh, Kathy, thank you for writing in with your condolences. I sure do appreciate it. All right, everybody, that's a, that's a wrap for another week. Um, I will probably be back next week. As I always say, I'm taking this one week at a time. God bless you. Keep coming back. It works. Love to all of you. Hope to see you again soon, or uh, hope to, hope to, I hope you're listening again soon. <laughs> now, there's some of you that I know that I will actually see pretty soon, but most of you, it would be really, really hard to get around to every one of you. <laughs> I wish I could. It'd be really cool. Uh, but uh, I probably won't be seeing you sometime soon, unless maybe you come to one of our live events uh, for the uh, for for a, for a Zoom a speaker that I'm going to be having here soon. But anyway, God bless you. I'll quit rambling now and let you get on with your day. Adios.